So the name of the t this presentation, why should anyone believe the Bible, is actually, why should anyone believe the Bible version 2.0? Because as you know, whenever something's 2.0, that means it's what? That means it's new and improved. And this, this, this presentation is, is no exception. So the question is simple. Who has an answer for me? Why should anyone believe the Bible? Why not? <laughs> Believed in Santa Claus for a time. Why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why should anyone believe the Bible? Are you, are you ready for this? Yeah. If you're taking notes, this would probably be a really good time. Okay. I spent a lot of time designing this next slide, and I don't want this to be missed. Oh, boy. Okay, you ready? This is serious. Because it's true. <laughs> Can you think of a better reason to believe something? Right. Is our God not the God of truth? Does he ever lie? Does he ever make mistakes? So if he says it, you should believe it. Okay, any questions? <laughs> it's a lot easier. See, it's a lot shorter than the original presentation. And it's a lot easier to remember. None of that stuff to confuse you. Why should I believe it? Because it's true. But I think a, a, there's a more interesting question that, that immediately follows this one. It's like, okay, how do we know the Bible is true? So that's the question that we're really asking, right? It's not just why should anyone believe it, but how do we know it's true? And if you think about it, this is, this is the question that the world is asking. Because if, if, you, if you can try to remember back to before you became, you became a believer in Jesus Christ. You look at the Bible, and there are a lot of things in it that are really kind of weird. <laughs> things that we, 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 like, should I believe this, right? We, we start off, and we have this God who doesn't even bother to introduce himself. He just shows up on the scene, starts talking, and things start flinging into existence. Okay, that's weird. But then we get to Genesis chapter three and things get super weird because we have, and I'm sorry, but this is just what the Bible says, right? There's a naked lady having a conversation with a snake. <laughs> and it's not just that she's talking to the snake, it's that they're communicating back and forth. She's having an argument with a snake. And the snake is like, no, you'll be fine. It's, it's all good. Look at that fruit. And she's like, hmm, yeah, fruit. So that's kind of weird. Like, this is the reason why we believe the Bible, right? Three chapters in, and we're already talking about fairy tale land. Or how about when we get to Numbers chapter 22? Things get super interesting when we got a talking donkey shows up on the scene. Talking donkey. Donkey. You have to say it like that. I just do it by instinct now when I'm reading the Bible to my kids. They'll tell you. Every time dad says donkey, it's donkey. <laughs> Talking donkey. And then when you get later on in the book, much later on, things get even weirder because then you start seeing singing and dancing produce. <laughs> right? No? All right, you're right. Just checking to see if you're paying attention because, you know, it's, it's only, what, 10 a.m.? It's on a Sunday. Probably stayed up too late last night watching Netflix. <laughs> but seriously, back in Genesis 19, things get weird again. Because if you remember the story about 
Abraham and, and, and Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, right? His family escapes. And what does Lot tell his wife not to do? Don't look back. So what's she do? They're boogieing it away from the city, and she's like, I forgot the silverware. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Turned into table salt. Wow, this is the reason why we believe the Bible, right? This is, this is strange. There's some strange stuff in the Bible. Or how about in 2 Kings chapter 6? We see the, the account of when Elisha and the school of prophets were out there chopping wood by the river, right? And one of the prophets is out there, and he's, he's whacking away at some kind of tree, and then his axe head flies off. Bloop. Ah! He freaks out because the axe head is borrowed. And he's a student, so he has no money to pay for a new axe head. So he's wigging out. So what's my man Elisha do? He rolls up on the scene like Fix-It Felix, and he says, I know what we'll do. I'll drop a stick in the water, and that'll change the specific gravity of the water, and it will cause the axe head to float. And that's what we see. How unscientific can you get? Everybody, anybody who knows anything about axe heads knows that they don't float. They weigh more than the water they displace. Huh? Huh? Anybody, anybody, anybody tracking with me? <laughs> but you know, this, this shouldn't catch you by surprise. This shouldn't stress you out. I didn't come here to stress you out. I came here to encourage you, believe it or not. So why shouldn't this bother us? Because God warned us about this. Didn't he? Didn't he say that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised? Of course it's foolishness. Huh. So why does anyone believe the Bible? Usually the answer that I hear and the answer that I taught for, for years Where's Vince? Right, Vince? Vince has been stalking me. <laughs> so he's, he's watched me teach and do the roller coaster ride. So a lot of people say, well, I believe the Bible is true because of all the evidence. Now, there's an asterisk there because oftentimes we talk about evidence, but we don't really define what we're ta actually talking about. We need to define our terms. So what do I mean when I'm talking about evidence here? Well, in this context, when I say evidence, I'm talking about things like manuscript evidence. And I used to teach that the, I, I, believe, I choose to believe the Bible because we have all this manuscript evidence that shows that the Bible's been faithfully transmitted over time. Do we have the originals? No, but we get real close, better than any other work of antiquity. But what have I just done? I've left room for doubt, haven't I? We don't have the originals, we get really close. We're like 99.999% sure, but what's the world gonna say? I'm taking the 0.0001%. See? When you argue for, ev for manuscript evidence, all you're doing is making the truth of God's word highly probable. How about archeological finds? Thousands and thousands of archeological digs out there in the sandbox out in the Middle East, and every time they dig something up, it's like, bing, hey, check it out. It agrees with what the Bible says. Well, duh. 
Because the Bible is God's word. We haven't even scratched the surface as to what God knows. How about odds of fulfilled prophecies? This is a fun one. And I love I loved teaching about this one. Take all the prophecies that were made about Jesus and say, what are the odds that just, I don't know, eight prophecies will be fulfilled? The odds are astronomical. But what do we do when we argue that way? We leave room for doubt, don't we? Right? All we do is we make God's word highly probably true. Arguments for God's existence. This is a favorite one of mine. Uh, I, have, I can't tell you the number of times that I've engaged with atheists who say, prove to me that God is true. And then I engage them in their folly. Why is that folly? Because when we get to Romans 1, 18 through 22, we realize that what? Everybody knows God exists. And not just a God, not just a higher power, the God. Everybody knows he exists. So when I engage the atheists and I say, here, I'm going to try to prove to you that God is true, or God exists by the Kalam cosmological argument, the, the, uh, the, the moral argument for God, the teleological argument, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what have I done? I've taken the atheist's word over God's word. Oh, God says that you know that he exists, but you say that you don't know that he exists. I'm going to believe you. Sorry, God, but I got work to do over here. I got to prove to this guy that you exist. He already knows. What does he do? He suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Arguments for God's existence. Miracles, right? And scientific theories. Oh, the Big Bang. Don't even get me started. <laughs> so in a nutshell, what I mean by evidence in this context is any extra biblical information used to persuade or prove to the non-believer that the Bible is true. Now, there is a class of evidences that are proper and good to use, and that's the way that Paul argued from the Scriptures, not to the Scriptures. The apostles and Christ Jesus himself argued from the Scriptures, not to the Scriptures. Big difference. Prepositions are huge. Well, they're small words, but you know, the impact is huge. So because of the evidence, and this is the original presentation, version 1.0, of this presentation was an hour of manuscript evidence, archaeology, prophecy, and statistical probability. Three years ago, I went to Idaho and I did a one-week speaking tour. And I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he says, man, after listening to version 1.0, this presentation, he says, I learned more in your presentation than I did in years of Sunday school. Ooh, I wasn't sure how to feel about that. Like, in one hand, I want to pat myself on the back, but second of all, like, that's kind of an indictment about Sunday school, at least your particular Sunday school. What were, you been, what were they teaching you? But you know what? Here's the funny thing. That was one of my, my most popular presentations, my most frequently requested presentations, version 1.0, Manuscript Evidence, Archaeology, Prophecy, Statistical Probability. Everybody gets all jazzed over that. But every time I delivered that presentation... I felt utterly defeated at the end of it. I'm like, Lord, why are you beating me up over this? I don't get it. <clears throat> Everybody else loves this presentation except for me. Why? And I kept wrestling with it, but I kept delivering it. And I just, oh, it started bugging me. Until the Lord sent a couple brothers in my life. And this one brother comes from a different theological camp than I do. 
but he asked me some really hard questions. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to ask you a really simple question just to snap you out of your stupor. And that's what I was in. He says, let me ask you a question. I said, he watched the presentation. I said, what'd you think? He says, I hated it. I'm like, yes! <laughs> yes, you're the first person who's told me that he hates my presentation. Tell me why. He says, I'm not going to tell you why. I'm going to ask you a single question. Is that why you, is that why you believe the Bible? Uh, no. I didn't have to think about it very long. No, this is not the reason why I believe the Bible. He says, well, why do you believe the Bible? I said, because God has opened my eyes and he's given me eyes to see and ears to hear. He's changed my heart. He says, so why are you spending an hour in front of audiences all over the area telling them that this is the reason they should believe the Bible? <sighs> you know what they call that, right? When you say one thing, but you believe another? Go ahead. Yeah, it's hypocrisy. See, confession is bad for the reputation, but good for the soul. I feel better now. <laughs> I was a hypocrite. Oh, but you know what? Here's the amazing part. And I was just talking to Vince about this earlier. The amazing part about that is that even though I taught that, God didn't kill me. <laughs> I mean, think about how easy it would be just to go, God just says, you bonehead. Yeah. You're done. He didn't do that. He allowed me to learn. Oh, and every time I learn something new, I'm like, Lord, you are amazing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for putting up with me. Now I know how my wife feels. <laughs> this is, it's amazing. You know she's got the Holy Spirit because she puts up with me. All right, so here's the deal. It's not about evidence. And again, all the extra biblical stuff that we use to try to argue people to the Bible. It's not about that. It's not about that at all. <clears throat> In Luke 16, I'm going to prove it to you from the scriptures. Oh, here's the other problem I have with version 1.0 of this presentation. One hour, God didn't get a word in edgewise. It was all my words and other people's words. I don't think I quoted scripture once. Gulp. I'm turning that upside down here. So we're going to hope we give God more of a say than me. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And of course, we know that the rich man being in torment in Hades, what did he say? He says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus down and just dip the tip of his finger in water and touch it to my tongue for I am in agony in this fire. And what did Abraham say to him? Abraham said to the rich man in Hades, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. To whom did Abraham appeal, or to what, I should say? It's, it's, we'll give you a little pro tip. When I ask a question, usually the answers are in bold. To whom did Abraham, or to what did Abraham appeal when he responded? Moses and the prophets. What would we call that today? The scriptures. The Old Testament, the scriptures. He's like, look, they've got the scriptures. If they don't believe that, they ain't believing if somebody rises from the dead. Boy, that's oddly prophetic, isn't it? 
Wow. So it's, it's not about seeing miracles. It's not seeing is believing, is it? He appealed to the scriptures. Hey, how many of you know what the Great Commission is? I mean, you don't have to quote. I want somebody to, to, to even just, just paraphrase it. It doesn't have to be word for word. Yeah, go out and make disciples, right? So we're evangelical Christians. This is what we do. And it's kind of like eating breakfast. This is, ah, eat breakfast and lead people to Jesus, right? This is what we do. Do you know the verse that comes right before the Great Commission? Oh, well, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore, or as you go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But what's the verse that comes right before that? See, we don't know. Because the Great Commission's cool. The verse that comes right before the Great Commission, not so cool. Because it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some we're doubtful. Wait a minute. Who is the they here? Who are the they? Say the 11. The 11. Because Judas done hung himself, right? So 12 minus 1, 11. The 11. How long did the 11 spend with Jesus? Three years. Did anybody see more? to validate Jesus' identity as God in the flesh than the 11. Did anybody see more? See more miracles, hear more sermons? Did anybody? What is this? How is it that these guys saw all this evidence, but some were still doubtful? Is it about evidence? Is it about seeing stuff? What's going on here? Well, to get an idea, I think we need to go back to early on in Jesus' ministry, back to the Gospel of Mark. Jesus went back home to Nazareth, and he went to the synagogue where I, probably he, he grew up. Right, Nazareth, not exactly a big town. So he's in the synagogue, and he shows up, and he teaches from the Word. And then, what did the Jews say after Jesus spoke? They're like, hey, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? I know it sounds like Paul great, but that's my best Jewish guy voice I can do. <laughs> and such miracles as he's performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Is there any denying the wisdom that Jesus had? No. They recognized the wisdom, didn't they? Is there any denying the miracles that he performed? No. They didn't deny it. They said, we've seen the miracles. We've seen the wisdom. Who's this guy think he is? That's little Yeshua. <laughs> so you know what I think the problem was here? The Jews' preconceived notions of who Jesus is got in the way of them seeing him for who he truly is. See, they had a whole set of presuppositions, things that they assumed ahead of time about who this Jesus was. 
And so that when they saw the miracles and heard the wisdom, it didn't compute. They couldn't process it because all the stuff that they already believed was getting in the way. So it's not about wisdom and it's not about miracles. You see, evidence is not proof. It's data and it has to be interpreted. You need to look no further to get proof of this, to see this in action, than to look at geology. You've got a scriptural geologist on this hand who says, aha, because I know that God created in six literal days, and because I can look at the genealogies, I've got a presentation on this, by the way, that will show you that mankind has existed on this planet for approximately 6,000 years. 6,000 years plus six days is equal roughly 6,000 years. You know that that rock can be no older than 6,000 years, but yet you get a secular geologist or one who's been heavily influenced by secular thought, and he says, no, alas, Big Bang 14.7 billion years ago, Earth cools 4.6 billion years ago, Dinosaurs died out 300 million years ago, right? You see where I'm going with this? We all have the same rocks. We all live on the same planet. We all see the same starlight, but what's different? We lead radically different conclusions. 6,000 years, 4.6 billion years, or 14.7 billion, if you want to go all the way back to the, to the supposed Big Bang. So what's different? It's your, your starting point. It's the, it's, the, it's the lens, if you will, through which you view the world. Your worldview. Are you looking at the world through a biblical lens or are you looking at it through a secular lens? If you don't address those things, if you don't address the worldview, which is the foundation of your belief system, and then you start talking about bones and starlight and all this other stuff, you're gonna miss the point because they're always gonna come up with a rescuing device and say, well, we just don't know yet, we'll figure it out. Or I see it differently. Well, of course you do, because God has not opened your eyes. And it's not about education. It's, it's not. God took 12 knuckleheads, by all accounts, some more knuckleheaded than others, smelly fishermen, at least four smelly fishermen, and used them to turn the world upside down, didn't he? Completely changed the world. When you see Peter, I always say Peter, Paul. It's not Peter and Paul, it's Peter and James. Peter, Paul, and Mary, I'm old. <laughs> you know how you get old is when you crack a joke and only the people with gray hair laugh. It's, it's, it's hard. I, I will take your sympathy now. All right. So in Acts chapter, what is it, four? Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, and they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Here's the deal. I don't have a PhD. I don't even have a master's. My degree is in electrical engineering. I never did a thing with it because I've been building websites for the past 25 years. So I, I'm not particularly, I mean, I'm not smarter than your average bear. Right? That's another old people joke. See? All, the, all the, the 60 year old ladies up here are like, hey, he's funny. And everybody else is like, what? 
Pastor Case, where did you find this guy? But look at this. Uneducated, untrained, amazed. We've got some universities that offer um, master's degrees and even PhDs in apologetics. Knock yourself out. But is it necessary? When people look at me, you see, there was a time when I thought I wanted to get like a master's, like going back to school. I don't know what came over me, but I thought maybe I'll go back to school, get a master's in apologetics, and then I'll be super apologist. Yeah! <laughs> Knocking them atheists out, rhetorically speaking. But I'm like, wait a minute. These guys were uneducated, untrained men, and they couldn't stand up to them. But why? Because they recognized them as having been When, you, when people look at me, I, I hope you don't think, oh, he's so smart. He's funny. Well, funny is good, but he's so smart. I could never do that. Well, maybe you aren't gifted with speaking in front of people, but are you gifted in sharing what Christ has done in your life? Have you been with Jesus? Do people see that in you? That's what I want people to see in me. Not that I'm some super smart guy who's got all these arguments memorized. No. I want you to recognize me as having been with Jesus. That's what's important. Now, some of you are looking at me a little strange. And you're kind of like, all right. <laughs> you overgrown Sunday school teacher. What's the answer, Mr. Smarty Pants? come in here with a presentation and say, you know, why should anyone believe the Bible? Because it's true. But why, how do we come to know the Bible is true? Well, I've been giving you a little, dropping little breadcrumbs here and there, so maybe you've already picked it up. But let's see what God has to say. How do we know the Bible is true? In Matthew 16, Jesus asked what I think is the most important question he ever asked anybody. What's for dinner? You know what the most important question Jesus ever asked is? Who do you say that I am? Because you remember, he asked the disciples. He's like, hey, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they're like, yeah, well, some say you're like one of the prophets from of old. You're a great, you're a great teacher. You're this, you're that. And he's like, eh. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Made it personal, didn't he? And what did Peter say? This is one of those rare opportunities where Peter did not suffer from foot-in-mouth disease. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And how did Jesus respond? Congratulations, Peter. You have graduated from Jesus you. You've mastered all the arguments for God's existence. You're an expert in the fossils. Right? You've got all these rational arguments for my existence all set up. Congratulations. You're, you're, you're there, Peter. Is that what he said? No, what did he say? He says, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How did he come to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, God in the flesh? God had to open his eyes, didn't he? How about when Jesus was walking to Emmaus? I love this story. These two dudes are down and out, and they're walking to Emmaus, right? They're just like, 
Oy vey. Oh, and then Jesus just comes strolling up next. Do, 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 do. Hands and feet pierced, three days in the tomb. Comes walking up. Hey, guys, what's going on? Why, why are you so down? Sir, are you a stranger in these parts? Are you, don't you read the papers? Don't you know what's happened? Oh, we got this, this guy, Jesus, came around, and we thought he was the Messiah. Everything was going to be great. And then the Romans done killed him. And what's more, it's been three days, and now some of our women have just gone, woohoo! And they say he's alive. Jesus is like, hmm. And what did he do? He began to explain to them from the scriptures all that had to happen to him. You notice that Jesus didn't go, it's me. No, no, no. Took him to the scriptures, didn't he? And when they got there, they got to where they were going. <laughs> this is the great part. Sits down with him to have a to have a meal, and he breaks the bread and hands it to him. And what happens? Their eyes were opened. You mean to tell me they walked all the way there to Emmaus with their eyes closed? No, of course not. What happened? Who opened their eyes? God opened their eyes. And it wasn't until God did that that they recognized who they were with. Oh, man. And after that, Jesus vanished. <laughs> Gone. Now, these two guys are stoked. I don't even know if they finished their meal, but they hightailed it back to Jerusalem and went to go to tell the 11. Like, yeah, we, we see Jesus. No, yeah, no, yeah. And then what happens? Jesus shows up, doesn't he? In their midst, shows up. And he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. To what did Jesus appeal? Scripture. Doesn't even say he went like this. They knew who he was. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And it wasn't like they were suddenly written in a different language. These guys grew up with the Hebrew scriptures. But he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh man, when that happens, that's a beautiful thing. Scripture has more to say about this. In John 14, Jesus starts talking about a, going to a place to prepare, going to a place and to prepare a room for, their, for, the, for, the, for the 12, for the, all, the, all the believers. And he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But there's a little wrinkle because a few chapters earlier, we see that no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? So get this. No one can get to me, no one can get to the Father except through me. But you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. Because Ephesians 2.1 tells us we are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
We don't want to be drawn by anybody. John 3, 19. We agape our sin. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody tell you that agape is just the love that God has. No, no, no. That's unconditional love. And the sinner has it for his sin. We agape, we agape our sin. We don't want to, we are enemies of Christ. That's what makes his mercy and his grace so amazing. And that while we were enemies of Christ, he died for us. Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How do we follow him? He calls us and we recognize him because we're his sheep. That should be slightly offensive to you. The only thing worse that smells, smells worse than a sheep? Two sheep. <laughs> sheep are dumb animals. And yet God repeatedly calls us his sheep. Yes, Lord. <laughs> it's hard being a sheep, being all smelly. <clears throat> In John 10, Jesus is having a really intense throwdown with the Jewish leadership. And in the middle of it, they say, look, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus is like, bruh, what do you think I've been doing for the past three years? Hello, McFly. And he says, look, I did tell you, and even the words, even the works that I do back up what I said. But with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. All right, are you picking up what I'm throwing down here? Yeah. And in the interest of the doctrine of fairness, I'm going to give God some time to speak directly to you. And when I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not our clever argumentation, and not our mastery of evidences. The gospel, it's Romans 1.16. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on what? The power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, in review, why should anyone believe the Bible? Because it's true. Very good, you've been paying attention. You got an A so far. How does anyone know the Bible is true? How do you know the Bible is true? Amen. God revealed it to us. It's not an accident that in Romans 10, 17, Paul writes, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is good. And thank you, Father, for the things that you have taught me. Thank you, Father, for your patience with all of us. Lord, how easy it would be for you just to squash us all and start all over again. But you love us. And you sent your son to die for us, to pay the penalty of our sins. Wow. Thank you, Father, for who you are and who you continually show yourself to be. Bless us now, Father, as we come to your table to partake in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. As we remember what our Savior did for us. Oh, Father, may we keep our eyes focused on you. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to conform us to the image of Christ until that day when we can meet him face to face. We ask this in his name. Amen.